Welcome to the Binge Your Bum Podcast with Ellen Sherman and Gillian Gordon. So coming up in this episode, we have Tokyo Vice from, where is it, from Japan? It, it's Japanese American, I think, yeah. Japanese and American, and what else? And Dairy Girls, which is Irish, and Three Pines, which is Canadian English, mm-hmm. I think it is. Exactly. Um, so three very diverse and quite uh, interesting uh, possibilities. Coming up, Tokyo Vice on HBO Max. Tokyo Vice is an investigative drama set in the warring Yakuza world of Tokyo. It is loosely inspired by the life of an American journalist, Jake Edelstein, set in the late 90s in Tokyo. And it follows his obsession with the Yakuza. It's a thriller and a mystery with fascinating noir overtones. And if you loved Miami Vice, you will love this. And the fact that Michael Mann directed the pilot and set the style of the show with that same wonderful, you know, at night dark vibe that he gets in the film Collateral. So that's a kind of extra perk as far as I'm concerned. The pilot episode directed by Mann is called The Test, and it focuses on Ansel Elgort, who is this plays this wonderful crime reporter, Jake. And apparently the actor studied for months and months to kind of be, be able to speak Japanese, and, and it's pretty impressive. There we have Jake applying for a job amazingly at Tokyo's prominent Micho Chimbum newspaper. Sorry, I didn't pronounce that very well. And it includes a kind of grueling standard eye test in Japanese, but he gets the job. It's not only the start of his proving grounds, given the cutthroat nature of, of the workplace, he's also written off as a gaijin. And they refer to him as Mossad, a nice racist slur to highlight <laughs> the fact that he's Jewish. Jake is hungry to prove himself as a reporter. He um, witnesses a mysterious death on a bridge, a man with a sword in his stomach. He witnesses a horrible uh, self-immolation. And and he begins to realize that all of these horrible events are actually not suicides, but murders. Unlike his boss, who tells him there are no murders in Japan, (laughs) he decides to go after it. And this leads him into a really fascinating tour of the Tokyo underworld and a glimpse at uh, the Yakuza, the club scene, the kind of dirty cops, the good cops. Elgort is a gangly, gawky kind of giant of a young man who sort of towers over the Japanese and sort of, he, he looks a bit like a giraffe running. Yeah, right. he? So Jake finds his way to the slightly sleazy Onyx Bar, where he meets the lovely former Mormon, Samantha, played by Rachel Keller, who's a very interesting act- actress. And and she works as a hostess, which and her job is basically to titillate the male customers into buying very, very expensive bottles of champagne. And then she sits down and then chat, and then she's sort of on the clock and moves on. I don't think there's sex involved particularly, but no, no, she gets a percentage of, of, of the, of the she sells, so she's, yeah. she's a hustler. Um, she's more interested in the bar's scariest patron and a very intense young Yakuza enforcer 
Sato, who's played by Sho Kasamatsu, who is really, really interesting. Yeah. I found mm-hmm. him absolutely riveting. And he's a gangster who has the violent urges that it takes to work for the, the 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 bosses and does what they tell him to do and also knows how to chop scallions properly, which is crucial to <laughs> right. the miso soup, right? He's also, he's more sensitive. He's, he's actually really disgusted by what they do. But and, he's in that culture. But he, how's he going to get out? Um, so in many ways... Tokyo Vice is the story of three young people making their way in the underworld crime world. So, so Jake forms a, a bond with a, a paternal vice cop, a really a good guy, the incredible Ken Watanabe, who gives him the headline sort of worthy stories that he craves, and he, you know, helps him out, gives him a gives him a break. Certainly. I mean, we all know him from The King and I and, and other amazing performances, but he really does embody a frustrated detective who's really not going to take the bribes. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's another cop that is going to take the bribes. And he's smart and he's pragmatic. And he knows that this young uh, upstart American who's so brash and slightly stupid, actually, um, has gained his an entry into a world that he can't particularly obviously enter as a policeman. There's also there's also a big plot um, that is underlying all of the episodes, which is to do with pretty major corruption that the Yakuza okay. are involved with. At first, when I started watching, I can't say that after watching the pilot, I wanted to necessarily yeah. watch it. But because I love the genre, um, I did find when I went back to it. And I got into it. I did get into it. I think it's it's very it's a very nicely. And no wonder they're doing uh, season yeah, two right. coming up. I think they're casting it right now. So so yeah, I I, I liked it I a mean, lot. I, what did you think? I felt Guinnessly. I felt the same way you did. As far as uh, when I watched the first episode, I, I you know it didn't get me. I loved the grace points. I loved finding out. I loved watching the uh, Jake character navigating his way through Japan and 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 the uh the culture I thought it was fascinating the uh what he had to go through to get the job in the newspaper which I don't think they do at the Wall Street Journal or the New York <laughs> Times I mean it was very rigorous I thought all of those grace notes about the culture of Japan were and were, and the, that whole hierarchical system right where, you know you cannot question your boss any of those things. yeah all yeah. of that stuff you know was great what I had in general, the problem for me was, and and as we were talking about another point, was that I love the Yakuza. I love it. I mean, I'm interested in the Yakuza culture and how it mimics all the great sort of crime cultures yeah, in the Godfather, world. The Godfather, yeah. Cosa Nostra, you know, the, the mafia. So there's a whole iconography of the tattoos that they have, yeah. uh, of, uh, you know, the idea of when they do something wrong, that there are fingers that need to be amputated, that need to be cut off. That's yeah, all you very... You don't good. chop the scallions for the miso soup. <laughs> you get your fingers <laughs> chopped off. What I didn't like, the chases, the, uh, you know, the fights, the brutality... Not that I'm all against violence, although I don't love watching it. I just felt it was predictable. And I didn't, you know, and I kind of wanted to fast forward through it. Ultimately, listen, the truth is, is that I didn't binge it. The truth is that I got to the end of the series and I thought it was interesting. I was less impressed by the, you know, that Michael Mann touch 
there. And I thought, oh, well, that's, you know, interesting. And I've seen it before. I think I would have liked less of the crime story. I found that there was too much of it. And I, but it is, it's a mystery. I mean, what am I, what was I expecting? But I found that what I got of the mystery and the cop drama and the corruption, which, oh my God, I saw that coming a mile off. You yeah. know, I knew who was the bad cop. I knew Ken Watanabe would never right. be the bad cop. And yeah. So all of that I found, I yeah. found it a bit predictable. You know, would I recommend it? I, you know, for me, it will be, it'll be questionable. Cinematically, the tension is, is very much there. So it does, you know, it isn't sort of plotting. In well, its no, 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 it, no. it kind of, it moves fast. Um, as I said, all the characters are pretty interesting. The acting is, is sublime. It's beautifully done. Um, I, I, I think that I agree with you. I think from a plot perspective, you know, a little bit more work could have been done to give it that extra dimension. And I think, and as you say, the world of a white American from Missouri was pretty fascinating. Yeah. I be, So I think you, yeah. so what's your feeling? Well, I, I'd say binge it, you know, I say binge it. We have a new category, which is where I'm going to fall on this one. Uh, we came up with called on the fence, which means, you know, I think you have to make up your own mind if you're taking my viewpoint on it, because I'm on the fence about it. Yeah. I think it's something worthwhile. And I think- So just imagine a white picket fence, because yeah. we are in the Hamptons, <laughs> right. right? And Ellen is sort of perched, trying to avoid that spiky bit. Uh, on the fence. She's right. not sure which side to come down on. So, so that's being on the fence, yeah, right? audio, it's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Coming up next, Dairy Girls. Dairy Girls takes place in Londonderry, North Ireland during the Troubles, which first those of you that don't know what that refers to, this was a conflict ages old between the Protestants in, in Northern Ireland who were in favor of Ireland staying within the UK and the Catholics who wanted Ireland to be united. It's a conflict that series creator and writer Lisa McGee lived through while also like her protagonists, the Dairy Girls, she went to an all-girl Catholics, uh, Catholic school. And this series was a huge hit, attracting cameos from people like Liam Neeson and even Chelsea Clinton. And it was received enthusiastically in Londonderry itself, where there even today exists a colorful mural of all the Dairy Girls. <laughs> Can't wait to see that. Yeah, it's great. It's adorable. Erin is the main protagonist and is a teen who fancies herself becoming a writer. And there's plenty of chaos in her household to draw on since she lives in a tiny space crowded with her parents, her grandfather, a ditzy aunt, and her cousin Orla. Orla is as spacey as her mother, but actually quite bright and lives by her own set of rules. And the third dairy girl of this bunch is Claire, a bubbly but often panicked voice of sanity in this group, and she's desperate to fit in. And then rounding out the group is Michelle. Oh. Love Michelle. Really? I mean, how could you not? Um, there's Michelle, the wild child, who's the first to do drugs, liquor, or almost anything. And rounding out that group is Michelle's cousin, James, who was born out of wedlock, which at that time was a pretty big thing in a Catholic country. And he lives with his cousin, Michelle, because his mom has kind of left him to, left him to fend for himself. And he was brought up in England up until this time. 
He's English, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody hates him because he's English. But he becomes an honorary Dairy Girl because what else is Michelle going to do with her cousin? Uh, and all the Dairy Girls, plus James, inexplicably, who was in, who was accepted into an all-girls Catholic school led by their strict nun, Sister Michael, who has a droll wit and no-nonsense approach. This three-season series recounts the adventures of this gang as they encounter all the pitfalls of adolescence, boy troubles, crushes on pop groups, and fights with parents and school authorities. All the typical stuff you'd expect, but layered in is the time and place. Because this group is growing up in a war zone. While it is a sweet comedy, there is an honest depiction of how, when you're a teenager, and even for the adults, life has to go on, even though bombs are exploding down the street from the local sweet shop. So there is a layer below the surface that affects at how one group of plucky teens manages to be both silly, audacious, tentative, and all those things growing up means, while still dealing with the bleak reality of violence nearby. And and Gillian knows this. I really don't like teen comedies. <laughs> I, don't, I, I just, I, I really, I don't like children, kid comedies. I don't like, I'm not a big fan of Stranger Things, you know. I, so at first I wasn't having it. I started watching Dairy Girls and it seemed like a typical teen comedy set in the past. Oh, you know, boring, boring, boring. And I have to say that while there is sometimes a bit of overacting, especially where the stick by rules Claire was concerned, um, and at first it seemed everybody seemed to be shouting and mugging in the first episode, and I was going, oh no. But then there was a scene with the acerbic sister Michael, and suddenly the dialogue got sharp, and the reactions weren't predictable, and I was hooked. Even the secondary characters, particularly the parents and Aaron's clueless makeup-obsessed aunt, who initially seemed to be stereotypes, turned out not to be. Well, they're surprising, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I, they come up with, you know, they, you think, okay, as you say, cliche. And then they'll just say something completely wild and... And, and wise, you know. Wise, I mean, for me, they started to develop dimensions yeah. I didn't think they had. And the typical girl gang is not so typical. Yeah, One of them turns out to be gay, and I will not tell you which one. One of them has a relative who was murdered a political foe, and she's mourning his imprisonment. So what could be predictable wasn't. And all of a sudden, they became endearing. I, I think I think this sort of political context is what gives it yeah. that little extra something. Because, oh, okay. you know, I mean, it's like, oh, I won't be able to go to the tanning booth today. You know, because, <laughs> oh, that bomb, that bomb. <laughs> you know? I mean, and that's what was so beautiful uh, for me about Dairy Girls is that, is that she somehow managed to seamlessly weave in a really smart, clever, uh, growing up, you know, growing up tale. You know, which would have been great anyway. But the fact that she managed to show how, you know, as I said, life goes on. These girls are going to, they have to grow up their adolescence. And I'm sorry, there's bombs going on down the street, but they still have to worry about what they're going to wear to the prom. Exactly. Now, and, and also great soundtrack. I was just, it was the mm, yeah, yeah, base yeah. of bass, Blur, Salt and Pepper, the cores, the, lots of the cranberries. I mean, it was really, it's got really great music. I mean, I, not since Father Ted. Have I seen every anything that really made me laugh out loud the way Dairy Girls did? Yeah, and I just, as you say, once you get into the vernacular, once you get past that first episode, <gasps> you're just in heaven. And did you not love the uncle? Oh my God! There's I, I love the uncle. I love the grandfather. I and love the grandf- everybody. Yeah, I mean the uncle. There's an uncle there who is the, who is probably I think he has holds the title of the world's most boring person, and when he starts into his stories. 
you know, it could be a stereotype, but it wasn't because everybody knows somebody like this, you know? The the nun. Oh, the is nun is heaven. My favorite character. Yeah. She what got me to begin with. Well, the wit. Oh. I just so I know I wish I could quote her, but I'm not going to because you've got to see the show. Just watch and it. Also, her delivery is what's yes. so gorgeous. You know, yeah. I mean, she just and because you know, I think in the first episode, you're looking at her and you go, Oh, it's the typical stern nun who goes against the girls and all oh, that's boring, boring, boring. And then she comes out with a zinger, and it's like, Oh, oh, excuse me. <laughs> okay. What do you think? Oh god. Binge or bomb. Huge binge. Please watch it. It's just such a delightful thing. It'll it, it'll it'll make you laugh. Yeah. And what do you think? Same for me. Binge. It'll brighten up your day. Coming up next from Canada and Netflix. Three Pines. Three Pines, which is a Canadian, British, American, I'm not entirely sure, uh, but produced by Left Bank Pictures, who brought us The Crown, is on, I think it's on Prime Video. Yeah, I think so. Three Pines is about Chief Inspector Armand Gamache of the Quebec Police Force, who sees things that others do not. His dreams inform the present as he investigates a series of murders in Three Pines. Three Pines is based on the popular Canadian writer Louise Penny's Inspector Gamache novel series. Have you read that series, Alan? No, I think you're, there's, you're there's so like good at finding eight, all these. Series. 18 of them, apparently. <laughs> hugely popular. Yeah. And it balances a kind of mixture of police p- procedural genres, you know, and weaves a story that's more complex than your average detective series. Um, Um, But at the same time, I felt quite ordinary. And actually, you know, ordinary is not so bad. It's comforting in an old-fashioned sort Mm -hmm, of way. mm -hmm. And also, I think there's something about Alfred Molina that I just can't take my eyes off him. I adore him. He plays an intriguing, intelligent, central character. Um, But to be honest, I found the plots pretty pedestrian. Three Pines is an improbable melodrama set in a small Quebec town full of eccentrics. And now, in a way, that didn't work for me either. There are lots of kind of eccentrics running around. You go, oh, that's cute, but too cute. Five too many eccentrics in one town. Three Pines is armed with decent writing and good, strong production values. Beautiful landscapes um, in this part of Canada that I don't I don't particularly know, but but certainly would like to visit. And I found myself really interested in the characters and their portrayal more than I was actually interested in the plot twists. There is, however, a really interesting, compelling, overarching plot that deals with the disappearance of Indigenous women and the police lack of effort to find them, which may be, in my opinion, the only reason to watch it. Mm. The more you look at it, the, the worse it gets. <laughs> <laughs> For me, part of the problem with Three Pines was that there was too much going on. They were trying, it was like the kitchen sink was thrown in there. There was the eccentric people, the woman walking around who, uh, who's, who's whose companion is a duck. No, no, then there's the woman who's a poet. And there's a murder plot that's initially what brings him to this town of a rich woman being killed. And then all of a sudden, underlaying that is the situation with the indigenous women that have disappeared and one in particular, as you mentioned. So I found that there was too much plot going on. I was not that interested in the original in the 
in the main plot of the rich sort of stereotypical bitchy woman who lorded it over the and nobody liked and nobody liked it was boringly presented boring she was boring Mm -hmm. the rich woman was boring yes when he went and visited the a mother of the missing girl and i think her sister was there some other women were there i i think that's enough of a plot thank you very much i don't think we needed the stupid stupid (laughs) rich woman I, you know, I didn't mind the eccentric town, but to make them all murder suspects in the murder of somebody that, as we were talking about, we don't really care about. I think the more you look at it, the worse it gets, I, except I mean, I, for this really quite interesting and quite disturbing yeah, story I mean, about and, the and they, disappearing women. You know, they could have kept the town, but they could have eliminated that murder mm-hmm. and focused on the other, you know, on the other, mm. on the disappearance. Mm. For you? For me, it was a bomb. And for me, a bomb as well. Sorry, Alfred. (laughs) And while we still can, we have streaming series that we're going to review for episode 15, ones that you do not have to pay extra so that you can binge them. (laughs) And next time, we're going to be reviewing an English series, which is on Prime Video, called Life on Mars. And a German series called Cleo, which is on Netflix. And what's the other one? The uh, De Madrid. Which is on Amazon or HBO Max. So until then, keep watching and let's talk about it. <laughs>